Welcome to The Business Extra. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, the Nationals Assistant Editor-in-Chief here in Abu Dhabi. Thank you for being with us today. We're going to be talking to Deepak Chopra in a moment, a man at the forefront of well-being and the health sector for more than 30 years now. Before we do that, please do subscribe if you like this show. And if you're on YouTube, ring that bell. Well, as I said, I'm delighted to say that in the studio with us here in Abu Dhabi is Deepak Chopra, founder of Chopra Global, the healthcare company, and the Chopra Foundation. Deepak, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mustafa. Many people have have followed your story, um, began as a doctor. I'm still a doctor. I teach at Mount Sinai, University of California, at the medical school. We have a telemedicine practice. Some people think I'm an active member of uh, the Endocrine Society, the Royal College of Physicians, and the American College of uh, Physicians as well. Maintain my license in Massachusetts, New York, Florida, and California. So given that you're maintaining your original medical career, you're an entrepreneur, you're a, a, a kind of visionary when it comes to well-being. You were talking about uh, the, the sort of moving the parameters of health a lot, a lot longer uh, than many other people. Um, what, what, what's your opinion now of, of what it takes to succeed? You know, what, what is success and, and, and what is leadership in that context at the moment? Success ultimately is the progressive realization of worthy goals. It's the ability to love and have compassion. But ultimately, it's true self-esteem, not self-image, not your selfie, your true self, which is a deeper level of awareness where there are no limitations. It's a field of infinite possibilities, of creativity, of insight, intuition, uh, imagination, and um, higher consciousness. And if you have that, then success is guaranteed for anyone. I mean, if I, if I think about myself, when you, you explain those concepts, I feel it's a, it's a lifelong pursuit. These are, these are goals that, you know, inshallah, I'll attain, you know, over the course of the long run. But I, ne- I need the milestones. I need it's, to... an, it's a never-ending horizon. But if you focus on the process, you get there. And when you get there, there's another horizon. Horizons never end. So if you don't enjoy the process, then in a way, you're not enjoying life. You know, I think ultimately, the ultimate success is what we call joy. So you don't want to end your life by saying, I was very successful, made a lot of money, 20 startups, exit this, exit that but you're not experiencing joy, then you've wasted your life. Is that what you tell the executives you meet when, as you travel around the world? I do, I do. I say, you know, at the end of your life, what are you going to be proud of, that you started five startups or you made a lot of money? Uh, you know, I recently came across a lyric from Bob Marley. He said, some people are so poor, all they have is money. So I think you need abundance at every level, and then money is a useful modality for exchange. We call it exchange, right? So money is the exchange of values. If you know your values, if you know other people's values, then the exchange happens very successfully. And many entrepreneurs come to me, they have brilliant ideas. They say, why are you doing this? And they say, you know, uh, it's going to be very successful. It's going to make a lot of money. And some 
do. But as you know, majority of startups uh, actually don't succeed. My advice to them is, is there a need out there that you're fulfilling, number one? Number two, do you have the expertise? You know, right now, my field, as you know, is well-being. Okay. That's very much needed right now. Mental illness, suicide prevention, you know, the pandemic, all of that. So well-being is a need. Do I have the expertise? I think I do. I've pursued it for 40 years. But the last component is even more important. Are you irreplaceable? And if you are, then those three things work. You fulfill a need, you have the expertise, and you're not replaceable. I think at this moment, with what I do, I'm not replaceable. Ultimately, everybody is replaceable. But those who pioneer initiatives, at the moment that they're pioneering their expertise and fulfilling a need, they have to be irreplaceable. They have to be unique in the way they offer their service or their product or whatever else they're, quote-unquote, I don't like the word selling, but providing. What happens when other people tell you you're replaceable? So on, no one's told me yet. I mean, in the past, they used to. But at the moment, not. I know I'm replaceable, you know. Everybody is. And there's no such thing as permanent irreplaceability. But when you start something, you know, and that never gets replaced, you will never replace Mercedes or BMW, no matter how many copycats come on the scene. So I, from what I'm hearing, um, leadership is about conviction in what you're doing and who you are, knowing yourself. I actually have an acronym for leaders that will help anybody. So the acronym is LEADERS, L-E-A-D-E-R-S. L stands for look and listen, create a vision, and get your team to enroll in that vision, number one. Number two, E, emotional intelligence, empathy, compassion, but also getting in touch with your own feelings, the feelings of another, and managing relationship. Most people in leadership positions Ultimately, unless you're a despot or whatever, it's relationship that messes them up. A, awareness. Expand your awareness. Little people only talk about other people. You know, if you have a bigger vision, you talk about ideas. But if you're, if you're untethered to any ideology, then the world is your playground. You don't even bother with ideas. You have a vision, you execute it. So expand your awareness, intuition, creativity, etc. That's three. D, L-E-A-D, dream it and do it. And then I help people create SMART goals, S-M-A-R-T, I like acronyms. S, stretch more than you can reach. M, make everything measurable. A, make sure your team agrees with you, otherwise you're not going to get their cooperation, or keep a record, and T, set a time limit. You'll usually achieve your goal before the time limit. So that's, as I said, do it, but dream it and do it. Otherwise, what's a dream for if you don't do it? And stretch more than you can reach. That's D. The next is empowerment. It, you should empower your team 
because each of them is unique. Let them uh, identify their strengths. You know, we have a methodology to identify anybody's strengths. And then you complement everybody's strengths. And they, they, that creates empowerment for everyone, just not just the boss. Uh, so the next is our responsibility. You, the buck stops with you. But take responsibility for your health and well-being because otherwise people will lose confidence in you. And the last ingredient is S, synchronicity, which is the magical element. You know, every time I talk to leaders, they say I was lucky. Or they say um, there were a lot of coincidences. If they're religious, they say God was on my side or or it was a state of grace. But they're all talking about the same thing. It's called synchronicity because the ultimate nature of reality is it is synchronistic. Everything is synchronistic. Your biology, how does a human body think thoughts, play a piano, kill germs, remove toxins, make a baby all at the same time? It's not linear. So we in science today think linearly and not contextually. Um, and that's a revolution that needs to take place. Think contextually, understand relationship, and know your story. Only human beings are storytellers. And who wins in anything is the person who has the best story. Smart leaders stretch. Yes. And context. And I would almost argue that while all that uh, is eternal wisdom, that if you think about some of the leaders today, the populists in, the, in politics or the, the founders of big tech and business, they're not necessarily adhering to these principles. They're not. And sometime or another, they fail. I mean, look, they get greed. Look what happened with FTX right now. I mean, it's a Bernie Madoff story in the crypto world. You know, greed and success sometimes of that magnitude uh, you know, you fall prey to greed and then you lose your identity, you lose your your authenticity, your integrity. So that's very important. Authenticity, integrity is very important, but also a higher purpose. If you're doing it just for the money, it's so boring. And you mentioned crypto, you mentioned technology. You've, you, you've got quite a nuanced view of technology because mm -hmm. on the one hand, You've been very critical of, of the effects of technology on, on humans, on people. But also, you're very excited about Web3 and the metaverse. So yeah. what, what's your philosophy when it comes to technology? Uh, philosophy on technology is, number one, it's unstoppable. So your Darwinian principles say, if you don't adapt, you're ir irrelevant, you're extinct. So it's unstoppable. Number two, it's neutral. You can use it for diabolical purposes, cyber warfare, nuclear weapons, you name it, extinction of species, uh, drones to kill people. You know, I've been to Arizona and watched these guys sitting on computers and they're, you know, pressing uh, buttons. Somebody is dying in Afghanistan at a wedding or whatever. Then they take a break. They go smoke cigarettes, they come back, kill a few more people, then go home and play with their children. It's insane. So you can use technology for diabolical purposes, but since it's neutral, you can also use it for, I would say, divine purposes. Right now, playing with the metaverse and augmented reality and artificial intelligence and deep learning systems, we are figuring out 
and not only figuring out, we have the evidence that you know you can treat a patient with inflammation through a VR session, give them an augmented reality experience, and you can change, bring down inflammation. You can eat, treat eating disorders. You can actually look at autistic children, their expressions, give them bioregulation through VR, and their facial expressions change. So I'm thinking if we do it right in five, six years, pharmaceuticals will be optional for a few things. You'll have digiceuticals, you'll have electroceuticals, but even more important, you'll have augmented reality and immersive experiences where the doctor says, you know, Mustafa, you know, you've got a little bit of maybe high blood sugar. Let me send you to a VR session. And you come out of it and you've adjusted your metabolism. This is not outrageous. It's happening now. If you put a per person with burns in a VR environment that simulates the Alps or the Himalayas, the burns get better and vice versa. You know, extreme sensations, pleasure and pain are the same sensation interpreted differently. So you put the context right, augmented reality, VR, deep learning systems, artificial intelligence, bioregulation will change the way we treat people. Three years ago, I did a program with Fitbit, and that wasn't that sophisticated at that time, but people could actually look at their heart rate variability, look at their stress response, and then intervene live um, uh, and stop that response, which was basically a dysfunctional response moving away from homeostasis. We had 1.3 billion people in the media hits. Never happened before. That's three years ago. Technology's advanced since then. You mentioned technology being a tool that's neutral. Money at one point was considered to be a neutral tool. It was how you spent it that mattered. But now where it came from is more important than how you use it. I have a philosophy. It says karma never loses an address. So depending on where the money came from, was it an ethically sourced experience? How do you spend the money is equally important. Money is a very important tool for the exchange of values. Now, if your values happen to be drugs, alcohol, pornography, go to Las Vegas. You'll make a lot of money but your values happen to be the values we see here, innovation, diversity, technology for higher good, uh, technology for health and well-being, technology for connectivity, Can technology, my dream is technology for a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier and joyful world. We have the means, even look at, what I'm seeing, the science on climate change, you see the science is there. Now we need the will, we need the technology, but we also have an emotional connection to what we call the environment. I think that's one of the problems. We call it the environment. It's our extended body. That Those clouds and those rivers and those waters are your circulation. This air is your breath. The earth is recycling as your body. And the trees are your lungs. If they didn't breathe, you wouldn't breathe. You didn't breathe. They don't breathe. Stars created the atoms in your body. Why do we even call it the environment? It's our extended body. You put a rabbit in a vacuum, it dies. You put a tree in a 
plant in a vacuum and dies. You put them together, they both thrive. So we know the science. We know what it takes. Now we need the collective will and also a reshift in how we think about each other because the pandemic showed you can't cut up the air. Okay, it's not possible. And we do cut up the waters and the lands and make these boundaries, all artificial. But now I see here, this is the hub, by the way. Innovation Hub is Abu Dhabi. And also there's so much diversity and so much so many people are attracted. When you have that kind of maximum diversity and you have a shared dream, anything is possible. As John Lennon said, the dream I dream alone is a dream. We dream it together, it's real. Coming back to the metaverse and your vision for providing access to, to these therapies and services, the best to, to, to everyone, how do we ensure that it is inclusive, that everyone does have access to it, considering you know, globally we're having issues of, of, of inequality? When technology begins, it seems very expensive. In our metaverse strategy, we're using three tools. We're definitely going to use the high-level 3D immersive dreamscapes, as we call them, with our fictional characters, our avatars. We're going to do all that, but then we're also going to put that same content on websites, on iPhones and mobiles, and as technology gets popular, the prices are going to come down. It's inevitable, you know. Look at all how much you pay for a computer as compared to the 70s. When I came to the United States, I hadn't seen a television set. First time I saw a box with people in it, I was shocked. It was black and white, then color, then fax machines, then emails, then now Instagram and videos and music. The next thing is immersive experiences where you are actually and even ambient computing. I don't think you'll need a desktop computer or even your phone. You'll be able to summon forth Mustafa in the room in real time. It'll be you, but as a virtual being. And what we don't realize is that what we call real reality, this, is actually a digital reality too. The whole universe is a digital workshop in a cosmic, uh, non-local field of possibilities, whether you call it God or Allah, it doesn't matter. But there is an infinite background from where, you know, oh, you've, you're a scientist, quantum vacuum, but that's not the right word because everything is mathematically precise for mind, consciousness, and life in this universe mathematically precise. If we were off by a decimal point in any of the mathematical computations that describe what we call the real reality, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So I call this a 3D printout in a, from a digital workshop in a cosmic consciousness or a non-local domain of possibilities, a quantum vacuum, whatever you call it, but it's imbued with intelligence. It's imbued with consciousness. And that's where science is still not there. You know, science takes a while to catch up to some of these ideas which go back to ancient times. Speaking of, you know, catching up with you, um, when, when you started out, you were pioneering 
uh, your philosophies in well-being. Um, and now we take many of them for granted in the mainstream. But there was a lot of criticism from the medical community, from the scientific community. Is your advice for those that are receiving criticism to just stay the course and everyone will catch up with you? If you are convinced and you have the expertise, then you have to be immune to criticism, but still responsive to feedback, which means don't get personally offended. I realized that if I was going to respond to critics, I would be offended for the rest of my life. I didn't want to live like that. I said, the heck with critics. And, you know, but I still heard them. You know, I heard them for their feedback. And then I also realized there's a difference between critics and cynics. Critics says, show me. Cynics don't even want to be shown. So, you know, I then also found out that cynical mistrust is the number one risk factor psychologically for premature death from cardiovascular disease. So anyone listening there, don't be cynical, be skeptical. That's a good thing. Science is based on skepticism and so is philosophy. Deepak Chopra, thank you so much for being with us. Mustafa, very happy to be with you. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you to our production team and do join us again next time.